Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Christian counsellor Peter Toth from Anazeo, Australia. How are you doing, Pete? Great, great, Matt. Good to be here. Now, tell us a little bit about your life story. Uh, you've got a bit of a Kiwi background, I understand. Yes, um, good old New Zealand, born in Wellington and, um, you know, basically moved up and down the country, but spending uh, 17 years in Tauranga. Mm-hmm. Very good. Now, what about your uh, family upbringing? Did you have a religious background at all? Yes, yes. I was brought up in a in a Christian um, family, and oftentimes people say, well, when did you give your heart to Jesus? And those of you who, who are in that situation realize that there is no one definable moment. However, there are a series of points where the reality of who Jesus is really connects with you as you have that cognitive Understanding. You can't tell a two-year-old that Jesus died on the cross for their sins. It means nothing. But when I'm eight, nine, or ten, and I understand that, I go, "Wow, that's that's quite amazing." And I understand you worked for a while as a uh, maths and science teacher uh, for seventeen years. Was that what you got straight into after school and, and uni? Yeah, after uni, I did a bachelor of science degree in Auckland uh, University, and then I, I did a year's teachers' training college, and then taught secondary school maths and science, um, basically in the state school system for 10 years and then in the Catholic school system for two years and in the um, private uh, uh, independent Christian school system for four years heading up the maths and science department. And you had a lot of time working with YWAM, one of my favourite organisations. How did you get rolled up with that lot? (laughs) Well, you know, after I'd done a lot of teaching and had a sense that God wanted us to... um, you know, to sort of move out, exp- expand our, our, our borders, so to speak. We um, went to YWAM for three years, and it was really during YWAM that um, God sent a number of people that were under our care that I had no answers for, and doing deliverance and doing other things didn't make a difference. And then as a result of that, when we came over to Australia to further our YWAM uh, studies and gain um, more understanding and then did some Christian counselling courses, I realised that counselling is definitely uh, the way I want to go, As a and not that I didn't enjoy my maths teaching and science, I loved it, but this was... Um, an avenue that was really giving me life and meant that I could both teach and counsel. And so it matched both my giftings. And that's when Jesus started to really uh, show us things that um, has led us to where we are today. And you also did a lot of work uh, involved in children's ministry and worship as well, worship leading. What was that like? Um, worship leading is more my wife. I was definitely involved in um, in. Uh, running Sunday school for a number of years, yeah. but also as a teacher in the state school, we have IACF, which you have in Australia as well, Interschool uh-huh. Christian Fellowship. So I would uh, run that and also run canoe camps where we would, um, you know, invite people from all around the country in, in Rotorua area there and, um, you know, pr- present the gospel. And we had n- large numbers of, of, of people who came mainly for the canoeing and for the outdoor activities and yet gave their hearts to Jesus, just as I was impacted as a youth going to those kind of camps myself. 
Now, your ministry uh, in counseling is called Anazeo. What's that, what's that mean? What's that word mean? Uh, Anazeo is uh, New Testament Greek. It appears in the New Testament, and it means to come to life again. Ana meaning up, zao meaning life. So it's helping people to get back to life, to aim at true north because they've lost their direction. They've lost their focus. They're not dead. They don't need anastasis, which is the other Greek word, but they just need a little bit of tweaking here and there. Now, I'm curious to ask you about your teaching that you share on communion. Uh, I'm a big believer that Christians should be having communion regularly at church, but also at home and, you know, just in their marriages and in their families. Uh, There's a real healing uh, that that comes. It's it's a powerful uh, opportunity to get together and spend time with Jesus. Uh, just can you just tell us a little bit about what what do you teach about communion? Okay, well of course in Acts chapter two, you're right, Matt. Um, they met daily for the breaking of bread, and really at a lot of our churches we meet maybe monthly we have it or quarterly, and so I think we've lost a lot of the important emphasis on communion. So you encourage people to uh, share communion together oh, yes. in their families, in their homes, not just in church? Yes, absolutely. Mm. On a daily basis, uh, myself and my wife, we will have uh, communion. And sometimes we might have it twice a day, dependent on what we're struggling with. And I know your heart is really to see people saved, healed, set free. And, you know, the truth is many people get saved by the skin of their teeth, but then end up spending the rest of their life never receiving healing, never receiving deliverance, never, never getting set free. Uh, tell us about you and your, your, your counselling methods. Um, you know, this is just a short radio interview, of course, but just give us a bit of a, a snapshot of how you guys minister to people, uh, you know, body, soul and spirit, the whole, the whole person. Okay. So basically what we have found that aside from genetic factors or unusual conditions like a hole in the heart or a trauma which is definitely linked to a specific injury, most of the people who come, whether they've got cancer, whether they've got heart disease, whether they've whether they're depressed, whether they're struggling with any number of different issues, fears and phobias, that 20% is biological and 80% is spiritual. By 20% being biological, we mean it's the sinful lifestyle choices that they may eat. If it's heart disease, that could be high cholesterol foods, not enough exercise, smoking, all of those things. But where our model is different from a lot of others is we believe that 80% of heart problems, 80% of cancers are actually spiritual and they will have uh, three major components. Personal sin, which is usually 40% of any issue, generational iniquity, which will be 25% of the issue, and then dissociative trauma or the need to heal wounding from the past, which is approximately 15%. So when you come to see me with any issue, I'm dealing holistically with spirit, soul, and body. It's not all vitamins and just altering my my food that affects my cholesterol. Actually, 80% of it is dealing with the spiritual component. But that 20% of the biological is still important. And when we get the balance right, that's why we see the healing that we don't. It's not all demons. It's not all personal sin. Actually, it's a balanced picture of taking the whole person into consideration and dealing with all of those components. I love the fact that uh, you're such a an on-fire, spirit-filled counsellor because, you know, as a pastor, I see so many people over the years that uh, need to get into these areas of uh, of healing and inner healing and deliverance. And uh, I understand you, that you've been teaching a bit about um, one of the uh, 
one of the reasons why God doesn't heal. A lot of people, you know, ask the question, you know, God wants to heal, so why doesn't he? What's your answer to that? Okay. Well, let's take an example. Um, let's say there's someone in your church. She has cancer. She's really well loved by everybody. She has three children. And you know what? It's, it's, it's pretty bad. But of course, we all pray and intercede. Some people have a word of knowledge that she's going to be healed. And unfortunately, she ends up dying. We all throw our hands up in the air and we say, Lord, with all the prayer that happened, how come you didn't hear? I mean, really, we've been battering the gates of heaven. Well, the answer is this. If in fact, in that 80%, 40% is personal sin. So when people have cancer, there are 11 sins that they need to deal with in their life. Now, sometimes Jesus can sovereignly and supernaturally, dependent on a number of circumstances, override that. That is the exception rather than the rule. So if those, if I got cancer tomorrow, I would be looking at those 11 sins and working on them to make sure that I give Jesus as much leverage as possible. See, ultimately, Jesus wants that person healed. It's not his intention that that woman die at 35 and leave three wonderful children behind. It's not that God's calling her to himself, as we often hear at the funeral services. It's just that the kingdom of darkness, Satan, who activates that cancer, simply folds his arms and says, unless these issues, the generational issues and the personal sin issues and the dissociative stuff that's happened in her life get dealt with, then really all the prayer and the work in the, in the world isn't going to make a difference. And unfortunately, that's the case. See, God can't override the choices that we make. Perhaps the easiest example is to, th- is to think of Cain and Abel. Did God want Abel to be killed by Cain? No, absolutely not. Did God warn Abel, uh, Cain, about that? Yep, God did. He said, sin is crouching at your door waiting to devour you. So why didn't God stop it? Because he gave Cain a free will choice. Was Abel's life prematurely ended and he could have lived a thousand years just about like everybody else did at the time? Yeah. But he made a choice. God warned him. But God's hands were tied to stop it because then he would interfere with free will choice. And it's this whole understanding of the choices that we make that limit God's ability to heal unless we deal with those. Now, before we go, I always like to ask our guests uh, the most important question. For those who are listening that haven't heard the gospel, tell us what is the gospel and how do people respond to it? Okay, Matt, it's a good question, and there are a number of different ways I use to uh, spread the gospel. But one of the things that really impressed me was Charles Finney. Charles Finney has had the greatest success rate of anybody in converting people and keeping them on the straight and narrow path. And you know what he did? He would go into a place, and for six days he would talk about the sin, the personal sin in our lives, and he would keep people hanging till on the seventh day he gave the solution. And oftentimes we talk about people just simply inviting Jesus into their heart, and yes, they do. But when they have an understanding of what the honestly the consequences are, then they're much better able to hold on to that salvation. So I'd like all our listeners to put out their uh, right hand, palm facing up, and if the the car or the ceiling or wherever you are, of course, don't take your hand off the wheel, uh, <laughs> is, 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 represents God, then really God looks down at you, and he loves you. He created you. He is absolutely bananas about you, but God has a problem. Now, I'd like you to just imagine in your mind that you're picking up um, a white pages uh, telephone book and placing that on your right hand. Now, God looks at you. He loves you. 
but he has a bit of a dilemma. If that book represents all the sins that you have committed, if every telephone number is a sin, then honestly it would be really quite quite full, full, in fact, fuller than, for me personally, fuller than just an ordinary standard um, white pages. Why is that? Because I commit sins of omission and I commit sins of commission. When I'm selfish, when I'm self-indulgent, when I don't pay attention to my wife, those are all sins. But often we tend to think, well, if I steal this, then that's a sin. So really, honestly, it's a continuing uh, barrier between God and myself. So how does God deal with that? You see, his... Mercy wants to set me free, but his justice demands that there is a punishment for my sin. Just as if I were to commit a crime and murder somebody, and if the judge was merciful and let me off with no sentence, yes, he's been incredibly merciful, but justice hasn't been served for the um, family of the victim that I have killed. And so just as the whole justice system in society today always has that dilemma between mercy and justice, God, too, has that dilemma. So he solved that by sending his son. Now, his son, Jesus, lived an absolutely, perfectly sinless life. He didn't have a telephone book. He didn't have one page of a telephone book with sins on. He didn't have one line of one page of that telephone book. It was absolutely sinless. And because of that, because it was perfect, he could then take all of our imperfection onto him. Had he done one sin, he wouldn't have been perfect and therefore couldn't stand in the gap for us. So that's what he did. So the good news is this. It's that God has provided a way for this telephone book of sin that separates me from him to be transferred onto his son Jesus. And then If you now do that, in your mind's eye, if you can just transfer from your right hand to your left hand that book, then take your right hand back. How much sin is there now in your life? Nothing. God looks at you, and he doesn't see the sin. He sees his son. The penalty has been paid. It's a penalty that nobody else could have paid. And just recently in the news, we had the Chinese boy that accidentally leaned over. If if it was clumsiness or carelessness, well, that's a sin to a degree. Clumsiness, perhaps not so if he was pushed. But whatever the issue is, whether he intended to do it or obviously didn't intend to do it, but certainly there is a $300 million damage to that. And it's it's damage that he could never um, repay in, in many, many lifetimes. Now, if Bill Gates or a rich Chinese millionaire came and wrote a check out for that, then justice has been served. But we can't just let him off the hook and say, well, that's okay, because the owners of that painting can quite rightly say, well, we're $300 million out of pocket here. And that's exactly the same. There's no way that through your righteous acts, through trying to be better, can you counter the telephone book. It must be handed over to Jesus. And so now, the question that each listener has is, what do I want to do? Do I want to keep that barrier? Because if you do, then when you die and come before God, his justice will demand that you be separated from him. And to be separated from God in a place of torment for all eternity, that's a pretty frightening thing. And so for listeners who often say, well, is there a hell or not? Well, if there isn't a hell, then what on earth did Jesus come and die on a horrible on a horrible death on a cross to save us from 
I find in my counseling practice more and more there are those who say, who are Christians who love Jesus, you know what, there is no hell. How could a merciful God send people to hell? The truth is, by the choices that we make, we choose to keep our sin. We choose not to bend the knee and humble ourselves and hand that over to God. And hence, when we come before him, that barrier demands God's justice, and God's justice means that you will be separated from him. It's a frightening prospect. And really, the gospel is so urgent in the need to connect with people and let them know that there is only one path. When Peter said in Acts chapter 4, salvation is to be found in him alone. In the world, there is no one else that God has given who can save us. It's not through Islam. It's not through Buddhism. It's not through Hinduism. It's not through atheism. It is through Christianity. Christianity is not the first among equals. It is in a class all of its own. Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And that's the question for each of you. Wonderful to hear you sharing the good news with us today. Uh, We've been talking to Christian counsellor Peter Toth, and if people want to find out more, the website, uh, if you want to follow him up, the website is anazao.com.au, A-N-A-Z-A-O.com.au. You can also uh, find their information at Facebook as well. Uh, God bless you, Peter. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. And you can find out about History Makers TV. We are a faith-based ministry and we appreciate every donation. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ to the nations of the world. If you'd like to partner with us, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater. And why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor.